Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow. He can save you from the might of all your sin This is the fight in which He stands In perfect victory While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Shelter from the coming storm. 
while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm Today is January the 10th, 2023. I'm coming to you live from the studio. I have a message for you. It's a wonderful message of victory for those of you who are willing to walk in it. God always says what he means, and he always means what he says. I presented this message yesterday at the National Prayer Chapel. And after the message had been delivered and the service had concluded, one of the participants said to me, I don't believe in eternal... No, exactly, let me say it. Um... He said, I don't believe in entire sanctification. In other words, he believes that a person will continue to sin. I'm astonished by how eager many of those who call themselves Christians are willing to fight for continued sinning. Even unconscious continued sinning. I read in the book of Romans an alarming statement, and we'll come back to this today in the message, but let me just read this for you. In Romans, the sixth chapter, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you argue for a continuance of sin and claim that God now has to cover that sin with imputed grace— you are denying what Jesus has said very clearly through the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures. For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been set free from sin. And if you recall the story of Adam and Eve 
they were told, if you, if you touch this tree, if you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. So, is the penalty for sin one thing in the Garden of Eden and another thing in 2023? No. I believe the penalty for sin is the same at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as it is today. The wages of sin is death. I believe that Jesus came to deliver us from death, to set us free. We're going to talk about that today. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Today you have some very serious decisions to make about whether you will continue to make excuses for your sin or whether you will come up to Jesus Christ in victory. Now let's pray. Lord Lord Jesus, I... I am in the lowest seat in the house. I'm nobody. But, O Lord, you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you've spoken very plainly to us. And I pray today that as I share this message straight from the Word of God, that our thinking can be readjusted, that we would not establish what we believe on our experience, but rather on the straight, honest, true word of the living God. Lord, thank you. I bless your holy name. Thank you, mighty King. Amen. Well, let's go. Turn with me. And you'll need to have a Bible, or you'll need to take some notes, because this is not going to be easy. This is not, this is not light. You may need to listen to this broadcast several times, that it could sink into your heart, and you could claim for yourself that place in Jesus Christ where you no longer walk in sin. Let's go to the book of Colossians. It has some of the most astonishing statements I've ever read. Verse, chapter 1, verse 27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What an awesome place to start, that God wants He wants Jesus in you. And that Jesus in you is your very hope of glory, of being saved. There is no hope of salvation. There is no hope of salvation if you continue walking in rebellion against the Most High. For the wages of sin is death. But now, listen, we proclaim him, admonishing, 
and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I come today with the utmost desire that I can present you before Jesus Christ, perfect in him, in Jesus. Now, chapter 2 is where we begin today. Verse 1, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. I want you to know today how much I'm struggling for you in Washington, D.C., in the metro area. And with every one of you who listen to this broadcast, I am struggling for you. I'm struggling for you who believe that you can always walk in sin and not and not miss heaven. I'm struggling for those of you that I've never met personally. My purpose, verse 2, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I'm going to share this message with you, even though it will be it will be difficult. You're going to have to listen carefully. You're going to have to pray about it. You're going to have to struggle with it because it goes counter to everything that's being taught in the modern church. My purpose is that you may be encouraged in heart and I want you to be united in love. I want you to have a full, complete understanding of this mystery of God, which is Jesus Christ in you. And so let's begin today with verse 6. This is Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving or thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and destructive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Well, I've struggled with this. I've spent almost all of my life as an adult, and yea, even as a child, trying to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ because it didn't make sense to me. Now, I was raised in a home where my father believed, where many in my church believed, that Jesus was not from eternity. They believed that Jesus was created to be the Messiah. 
Now, I struggled with that, and I recall the first time I read the book of John, the Gospel of John. I was angry. I said, how can John claim that Jesus is fully God from eternity? It didn't make sense to me. It went against what I'd been taught as a child. So I began to talk with my dad about it. And after we studied the scriptures together, he finally said to me, Raymond, I believe you're right. I agree with John. Jesus was created. Jesus was not created. He was from all eternity. There's never been a time when he was not fully God. He became man, but he was also fully God while he was fully man. And so we moved on beyond that. But I had many other things that I had to deal with. The church that I was a part of believed in what they called the investigative judgment. They believed that in 1833, the judgment began in heaven. And they believed that when that judgment was finished, Jesus would come in glory. Well... There was no biblical base for it. And so I said, where are you finding this in the scripture? And they said, it's by prophetic understanding. I said, no, 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 no. I don't believe in that because I was finally clearly established on the scriptures that if it's not in the word of God, I'm not going to believe it. Jesus is what is the most vital part of my life. And I believe what the scriptures say about Jesus. There were other foolish things that I was taught. When I finally was able to look at the issue of justification by faith, I knew what the terms meant. But it was hard for me because in the church that I was raised in, They believed that you were saved by faith in Jesus Christ and by works. Those two both had to be functioning. The illustration was of a rowboat and one oar is faith and the other oar is works. And because of that, my daddy would say to me when I was just a boy trying to be good, he would say, Raymond, you must try harder. And I'd say, Daddy, I've tried as hard as I can. I don't know how to do it. And he'd say, well, in that case, let me give you a whipping. And you will know that there is a penalty for your sin. You must try harder. And so I would get a whipping with a razor strap. But when I became mature, and I looked at the issue of justification by faith, I discovered something very fascinating. I discovered that the definition of justification by faith that they were using was that it was a legal operation, that all of my past sins were forgiven. And now I was to spend the rest of my life trying to be righteous, growing up in righteousness, and they called that sanctification. And it was because of that that the modern church 
taught that I would always be a sinner before God, that I could never have the victory. I can't tell you how devastating that wicked belief is. And here in Colossians, it says, let me read it for you again. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. This belief that justification is simply the forgiveness of all of my past sins. And now I spend the rest of my life struggling to be righteous. I know that that is a deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Well, what does justification mean in the scriptures, in the book of Romans? What does he mean when he says, we are justified freely by the blood? Well, I then did research. And I said, where does the term justification come from? I discovered that it was an old English word that meant to be made righteous. It was not a legal term, a forensic term. It was a term that meant I've been made righteous. And then I looked at the Greek word for justification and discovered that the that the Greek term had come also out of the Old Covenant. But under the Old Covenant, there was a covering of sin by the the sacrificial system of lambs and bulls. Hebrews 10 tells us that the sacrifices of of a lamb or a bull, the sacrifice of an animal's blood, cannot forgive us for our sin. It's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. So if you believe, if you believe that the blood of Jesus does not have the power to entirely sanctify you and cleanse you from every sin, then you must take the position that Jesus' blood is of no more value to you than the blood of bulls and goats. Well, then, when are you going to be made righteous? Well, people will answer. Pastors will answer. I'm made righteous when I'm changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But that scripture is then being twisted. It doesn't mean that. It's speaking about taking off the physical body and putting on the new spiritual body. It's not talking about morality or morals or sin or righteousness. So many today, and you may be one of those who have been deceived by these philosophies that depend on human tradition, that you're made righteous when you die. Then death is your savior. How does that work for you? That doesn't work for me. My Savior is Jesus Christ in the now, not sometime in the future. Being made holy is never in the 
New Testament. It is never spoken of as something that happens in the future. It is always in the present tense. Today is the day of salvation. There are other false beliefs that are also a part of that deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. If you believe that you are forgiven for past, present, and future sins, if you believe that God's love is always going to save you. If you believe that God's love is unconditional, then you have believed a deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. It's a very sentimental belief to believe in the love of Christ being unconditional. But if it were unconditional, then we would be universalists. We would not believe in hell or judgment or punishment. But that's clearly against the word of God. So, what does happen? Well, just very briefly, when I come to Jesus Christ and I repent, I confess my sin, I repent of my wickedness and my behavior, then Jesus comes and he works a miracle in our soul. It's called being born from above, John 3 It is what Nicodemus learned at the beginning of the Gospel of John. It is what literally means that I am changed and transformed into a new person. So, do I believe in righteousness by faith or justification by faith? Yes, absolutely. the church I grew up in, the belief was that somehow I had to earn that righteousness or that sanctification by hard work. I believe in the faith of God. I don't believe in my faith. My faith is simply the lifeless hands of a human heart that reaches out to the Almighty God. And it's His faith that there, that then enters into me. And it is a regenerative faith. See, the modern lie of the modern church is that faith, that justification, by faith, has no regenerative power. It's just a legal power. 
It forgives me for my past sins. And then they add to that, it forgives me for my present sins and it forgives me for my future sins. Wrong. That's not taught anywhere in the scripture. That is a part of this being taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that's based on the lies of Satan. No, justification by faith means for me that I am made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I come to Jesus, I confess my sin, I repent of my sin, my past sins are forgiven, but that justification also then changes me and transforms me into a new creature in Christ Jesus. And every part of my mind, my body, and my soul are transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you'll quickly recognize that what I'm saying does not go along with what you were taught, probably, or what your experience has been as you have struggled to overcome your sin while all the time telling yourself, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, but you continue to walk in sin. And then someone tells you, Romans, the sixth chapter, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So, You can believe that you can go on sinning and that you're saved, but that's an empty, hollow tradition. It is not the truth. So, yes, I believe in justification by faith. I believe that it is the faith of God functioning in me as my weak hands have reached out and taken a hold of Jesus and confessed my sin repented of it, been transformed, and I'll share that in a moment. So I come to Jesus, and I am justified by faith, but it's his faith that justifies me. It is his faith that transforms me into a new creature in Jesus. What would you think of a man who marries a woman. He loves her with all of his heart. But she continues to go back and be a prostitute. Or a man comes into the house and assaults her and rapes her. Would you allow that to happen? If you had the ability to stop that, would you allow a wife to be raped by a wicked man. I wouldn't. I would do everything in my power to defend my wife, even laying down my life for her. I would not just stand by and let a man come into my home and rape my wife. Well, does it make sense to you that God would allow the devil to come in and rape his daughter or his son. No, it doesn't. We are delivered from the power of the devil. We are washed and made clean. We are justified. We are made righteous 
by his shed blood. Oh, that's such good news to me. Now I want to take you into the deep. This is Colossians, the second chapter. I'm going to begin now in verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head, over every power and authority. Now, did he mean what he said? Maybe it doesn't match your experience today, but it is meant by Jesus that this should be your experience on a daily basis. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives. That's easy, isn't it? That's what we all believe, that the fullness of God is in Jesus. That's what the Gospel of John teaches Now, if the fullness of the deity, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, dwell in God the Son, then it says in verse 10, and you have been given, I'm reading from the NIV, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So he's saying, Jesus has all authority over every power, over every principality. And you, in Christ, have been given full authority. So you are not subject to these demons. You have been given full authority and power in Jesus Christ. Because he is the head over every power and authority. And it says... Verse 10, and you have been given fullness in Christ. All right, I want to just take a side note for a moment. We each make our own choices and our own decisions. But I want to tell you, the devil wants to come and destroy your marriage. He wants to make you rise up and fight and be bitter and be angry. That's not what Jesus would have you do. Jesus wants you to know what your position is in him, in the fullness of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He wants you to know that you've been given fullness in Christ, And that means you have power over every authority and power that would come against you and your marriage. But now listen. In him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. So if you still walk in the sinful nature you will not have this fullness in Christ over every power and authority. And so the devil can come into your home and wreck it, destroy it. I understand this. I have watched the devil come in years ago and wreck havoc 
in my marriage and destroy it because I did not understand what my position of power was in Jesus Christ. I did not understand that as the man, I am the head of my house. Now, some will not like my saying that the man is the head of the house. But in Scripture, Jesus very clearly teaches this, and the Apostle Paul clearly teaches this. Now, what does it mean? It means that I, as the husband, am responsible for what happens to my wife. Now, I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. I would not go to pornography, but years ago when I was married, before Jan died, I watched as I would go to the bookstore and I would pull out a Maxim magazine, which was a men's magazine. And I, as I read that magazine saw that there was a wicked combining of sexuality with violence. I enjoyed some parts of the magazine. But then I went home and found my wife almost dying of an asthma attack. And I began to pray for her release, for her healing. And the Lord was very clear with me. He said, you opened the door for this attack, this demonic attack in your home. How had I opened that? I opened it by not walking in righteousness before God. And when I sinned against the Lord. Now, I want you to hear me. A man can open the door to demon powers to come in and destroy his marriage through sexual indecency, namely masturbating. A man can open the door to demon powers by what he watches, what he turns to, what movies he goes to, what wickedness on because when a man begins to feast on wickedness his spiritual headship over his wife is broken and he opens the door for demon powers to come in and destroy his marriage i am the head of my house and today i recognize that if i would sin against the lord i would open the windows of my marriage and my precious wife could be attacked. I don't want my wife to be attacked by demon powers. And so I stand by faith in righteousness for the protection of my wife. Now she may be attacked through wickedness of her own heart or just through the weakness of her body. I'm not saying that physical sickness is always accompanied by sin, because certainly it is not. We live at a time 
when the devil has brought much sickness upon the people. But I am saying that you, mister, are responsible for your family. And you are the line of defense against the powers of darkness that would come and destroy your marriage and destroy your wife and your child or your children. Some of you are not going to like that I've said this. I can only say it after I've had years of walking with Jesus and I have seen the power the devil can exercise to destroy a marriage if the man is not clean before God. Now, let's come back to the scripture. You have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you also circumcised. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Now, the Apostle Paul creates a Greek word for this putting off of the sinful nature. Apo means to push away, to get some distance. Ek means totally brought out, totally taken out from. And the primary word is to put away. So, Paul is saying, in him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised in the putting off, removing, in other words, totally removing the sinful nature from your life and from your heart. Now, let's be clear. What is circumcision? Circumcision, we're adults here. Circumcision is the clipping of the foreskin of the male. It was given as an Old Testament covenant to Abram, Abraham. It was insisted upon by the Lord with the children of Israel before they could enter the promised land. What is it saying? It's saying that you have no power and no authority as a man. That everything is out of the hand of the Lord God of heaven. That you are not God. That you are not the king. That you are not the one of final authority. Jesus Christ is. It's a bloody deal. Men don't like the idea. I understand. But now listen to this. For in Christ, all the fullness, this is verse 9 of Colossians 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. You have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done 
by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. In other words, Jesus is willing, if we will confess our sins, if we will repent and turn from those sins, he will come and literally circumcise our heart so that the old sinful nature of Adam is totally removed from us. Will we still be tempted? Absolutely. The devil will come with every temptation possible, but it will not be from within us. For the old man is now dead, and Christ Jesus lives in us. Notice, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Okay, let's nail down exactly what's being said here. In him, you were also circumcised, that is, the foreskin of your heart. Now, let me ask a question. Is sin a natural part of man? Is it an essential aspect of man, of human race? And the answer is clearly no. For Adam and Eve lived without this old man of sin. They had fellowship with God every day. They walked with the Lord. They were normal human beings. They were righteous before God. They were not subject to the devil. They had the title deed to the earth. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? When he was driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the, by the devil, to be tested? Yes, you remember. In that place, the devil came and he offered Jesus the title deed to the earth if he would bow down and worship. He said, the title deed to the earth belongs to me. And it did. It came from Adam and Eve. And when they sinned against God, the devil took possession of the earth. It belonged to the devil now. So he was correctly speaking to Jesus, this earth belongs to me, but if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you the title deed. Jesus knew that the only way he could recover the title deed to the earth was by shedding his blood on Calvary. And he chose to take that way, which he knew to be the will of God. And in obedience, He surrendered to the cross. Please note, these things that I'm speaking to you about today are real. They're not imaginations. They are the functioning 
processes by which God has saved your soul if you are no longer walking in sin. If you're walking in sin, you have not been saved. Doesn't matter if you say you're saved. It's God who decides if you're saved. And if you're still walking in sin, you are not saved. There's no such thing in the scripture as imputed grace that will cover over your sin and make Jesus not see you when he looks at you. That's all part of this false philosophy in the traditions of man. And so, listen to what it says. Having been buried with him. In other words, there's only one way out of this world, and that is by death. There's only one way into heaven, and that is by way of resurrection. When you die now, when you give up your life of wickedness, when you give up the ownership of your life, when you are circumcised by Jesus Christ, and the old man is removed from your life, you're buried with him in baptism and raised with him. There is a resurrection to your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So just as surely as Jesus was raised from the dead, when you are circumcised by Christ, you are put into the burial place to which he also went. And you are raised by his power. You are resurrected by his power. Now, does that resurrected person still have the old man of sin in him? Absolutely no, according to Colossians, the second chapter. And... Could I add also by the book of Romans in the sixth chapter? And we'll go there tomorrow. We'll look also and see if that agrees with Colossians, the second chapter. Now watch verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, everyone who sins is dead. Everyone who sins is dead. In the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, that is, you still possess the sinful nature. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that were against us, that stood in opposition. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Oh, my brother, my sister, we're almost out of time for today. I want you to begin to live in the reality that I've just shared with you. That in the name of Jesus, I must be circumcised by God. By Jesus. Now, have you been circumcised? Or does the old man of sin still reside in you? The old man of sin must be not just made powerless. Nowhere in the scripture does it talk about suppressing the power of the old man. That's the modern philosophy of our church. You try harder. 
the philosophy is, it's okay. Jesus loves you so much with unconditional love. He's not going to cast you into hell, even though you're still walking in rebellion and sin. This will require us tomorrow to give a very clear biblical definition of sin, and we will do that. I pray you'll listen to this broadcast more than one time. Let it settle into your soul. I'll answer questions later. But I invite you to thoroughly pray this through on your face before Almighty God. And I challenge you, if the old man of sin is still active in your life, ask that it be removed and ask Jesus to circumcise him, to remove him from yourself and from your heart to make you all new. Well, I'd love to hear from you, please. And thank you. (laughs) Thank you for those of you who are so graciously giving at the call of the Holy Spirit that this broadcast can remain on the air. Write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage. You can give online. Nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. I pray today has been a great encouragement to your heart that you will settle this in the prayer closet and that you will gain the victory in the circumcision of Jesus Christ. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory.